I've been involved in Christian education for 43 years, and this is the first time I've ever spoken in chapel. <laughs> I figured out this week I've heard over 8,000 sermons, so I've chose one and picked it, and we're going to go with that. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. I have learned through the years that that's the most important thing to say. Amen. Open your Bible. Other than Pastor Doug Fisher, whenever I hear a speaker say, you've probably never heard this before, look out. <laughs> Brother Fisher is always coming up with something new. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day and for the opportunities it has brought already. Thank you for what we've been able to accomplish with your help. I pray now that you would help each of us to be in tune with you, receptive of the message and receiving. I pray that each of us would listen on purpose and make application to our lives. I pray that you would speak to hearts today Help me to say the right thing that would communicate the message you've given me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated, please. For, for a moment, as we get started, I want you to use your imagination. Some of you are real good at that, especially during chapel. <laughs> Try to imagine where you will be 10 years from now. Now, I've got a pretty good imagination, and... I'm either going to be sitting in a wheelchair or home in heaven. But where will you be in 10 years? I think you have goals, you have objectives, you have aspirations. So I won't ask you to verbalize your imagination, but some of you perceive that you'll be in ministry, and that's good. Some of you will be senior pastors, youth pastors, Christian school teachers, music directors. Most of you have envisioned you being married in the next 10 years. Some of you may be stretching your imagination a little bit to get that far. <laughs> no, seriously, most of you will be around 30 years old, and many of you will be married, and you'll be in ministry. Let me challenge you today to realize that your ministry will involve your family. The passage we read today said, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I want to challenge you today to think about your family. Now, maybe you've never met your spouse. Some of you are engaged, you're counting the days. Some of you are already married. But envision your family and the opportunities it will enhance you, give you to opportun the opportunity to enhance your ministry by training your children for the Lord. I think there's a cop-out sometimes when people say, well, I've had a good ministry, but I lost my family. Or, well, I've saved my family and they've gone well, but the ministry has suffered. That's a cop-out. The same God that calls you to ministry is the same God that will call you to a family. And God is not leading you to spoil your children or ruin your family for the sake of ministry. I want to talk to you today about training children. Psalm 127.3 says, children are an heritage of the Lord. Heritage is a Hebrew, literally means possession, property, or inheritance. Children are an inheritance derived from the Lord. 
They are bestowed by him. And you don't realize it yet, but there will come a day when you realize how prized a possession your children are. I've had in my lifetime, I've had the opportunity to be called sir, to be called mister, to be called captain, to be called dean, to be called doctor. But I wouldn't trade any of them for being called dad. And some of you in 10 years will be in the middle of that and be challenged to raise your children for the Lord. As busy as you will be in ministry, you must be reminded of your personal relationship with God and how important it is. But secondly, your personal relationship with your family is very important also. I would challenge you today to think about the possibilities of having children. And I think it's not too early for, the, for you to pray that the Lord will give you children. My wife and I were married eight years before our first child came. And four and a half years later, we, we had a boy. And then four and a half years later, we had a girl. And I remember coming home from the hospital with the girl and in family altar time, giving her back to the Lord. Our son was four and a half years old and he started crying. Why are you crying? Well, I thought we would get to keep her. <laughs> there have been times since then that I wish we had given her back, but seriously. <laughs> Today I want to look at some ways you can plan to leave a godly heritage and train your children for the Lord. I have some notes I want to give you. I am a teacher by nature, so take these notes in your note journal. Number one, the, the way to leave a godly heritage is to model the Christian life. Number one, model the Christian life. The greatest gift you can give your children is a good example to follow. Let me say that again. The greatest gift you can give your children is a good example to follow. First of all, a good example in your daily walk. Proverbs 23, 26 tells us, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Solomon was challenging his son to observe him, to follow him. A variety of teaching methods are being practiced today, but the best method is demonstration, showing how something should be done. The best teaching you can give your children is by living a godly life. Verse 4 of our text tells us to provoke not children to wrath. Nothing generates disappointment or rebellion in the lives of our children than an inconsistent model of the Christian life. If you're planning to tell your children, do as I say, not as I do, you're beginning a failing approach to parenting. Provoke comes from the Greek meaning to exasperate, to anger. In other words, we are challenged not to anger our children with unreasonable commands, by needless severity, or by the manifestation of anger. Discipline or correction, and those of you who have taken my philosophy of Christian ed class know we talk about discipline, and we should never discipline out of anger. The whole purpose of discipline is to correct behavior, not to draw attention to how angry you were. The story is told of a mother who developed laryngitis. She learned that her children listened more carefully and learned better when she whispered. You may want to try that sometime. Genesis 2, 23 and 24, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She, should, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. They shall be one flesh. You can model the Christian life in your marriage. I would assume most of you want to be married. I would assume you want to be happily married. God ordained marriage to be a positive, God-honoring relationship. 
The greatest gift a father can give to his children is to love their mother. Quite often, children come from homes where they've never heard that somebody loves them. They've also never heard that their father loves their mother. The greatest gift you can give your children is to love their mother. Ephesians 5.25 tells us, Husbands, love your wives. That's a command. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. What a sobering verse for all husbands or future husbands. There's no greater expression of love than that of Christ who loved the church and gave his life for it. Husbands and future husbands, I doubt many of us will be called to die for our wives, but God calls on us to live for them. You ought to protect your marriage because it's the right thing to do, because God has commanded us to love our wives because it's a great example to give your children. How can you live, how can you leave your children a godly heritage? By modeling the Christian life. Secondly, you can mentor your family in the Christian life. First, we said model the Christian life. Second, mentor your family in the Christian life. A mentor is an experienced or trusted friend or advisor. Proverbs 4.10 tells us, Hear, O my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. Remember our text, Ephesians 6.4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You can mentor your children by nurturing. Mentor your children by nurturing. To nurture is defined as to provide those conditions favorable to healthy growth. This applies to the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of the mind and the morals. Especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions, you can mentor your children. Story is told of a father and son who went fishing one day. After a couple of hours out in the boat, the boy suddenly became curious about the world around him. He asked his father, how does the boat float? The father thought for a moment and replied, don't rightly know, son. The boy returned to his contemplation, then returned to his father. How do fish breathe underwater? Once again, the father replied, don't rightly know, son. A little later, the boy asked his father, why is the sky blue? Again, the father replied, don't rightly know, son. Worried he was going to annoy his father, the boy said, Dad, do you mind my asking you all these questions? Dad replied, of course not, son. How else will you learn anything? <laughs> Very obviously, he wasn't mentoring too well. A Cornell University study showed that fathers of preschool children on the average spent 37.7 seconds per day in real contact with their youngsters. Fathers spending 37 seconds a day. In contrast, the study indicated that children watch television approximately 54 hours each week, nearly eight hours a day. I believe it's safe to assume that the great majority of what they're watching on TV is not a godly influence in their lives. They need more mentoring by their fathers. Proverbs 24:13 tells us, my son, Eat thou honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to thy taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul when thou hast found it, then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. Wisdom is a great thing to gain, and it ought to be gained from the from father in a family. You mentor your children also by encouraging. Have you ever received a given or given a mixed message, something like, do you remember when your parents told you, don't eat with your mouth full? 
Don't speak with your mouth open. Hurry up and don't run. Don't be so smart. It was kind of have a mixed message. I'm sure each of us has said some confusing things. I've said a couple of things that I choose not to repeat. <laughs> a couple of times I said something that was inappropriate, a slip of the tongue, and I hoped it would go away, but I just kept down reading, my, kept my head down reading my notes, and the students started laughing. So finally, all, we all laughed about it, but I won't repeat it. Proverbs 31, 28 tells us, her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Here the challenge is for a husband and, a child, and children to praise their mother. A national survey of strong families conducted by the Human Development and Family Department at the University of Nebraska indicates that strong families are characterized by appreciation. Family members gave one another compliments and sincere demonstrations of approval. They tried to make the others feel appreciated and good about themselves. One of my challenges today is to ask you this question. What words of encouragement have you said to your children or your spouse or your roommate? Now that, that's a sobering thought. I would challenge each of us to go out of our way to find something nice to say to each of our friends and family members. Take some time today to call your parents and tell them how much you appreciate them. Call your younger sibling and tell them how much you miss him. We all enjoy being told something nice and others enjoy it also. If each of us will choose to do so, we can mentor our children by encouraging them. And I know many of you have been encouraged. You're here because your parents have encouraged you. They've challenged you, they've helped you, they've prayed for you. You ought to be an encourager in your life and in your relationships. So let's review, we should model the Christian life, we should mentor our family. Thirdly, we should maintain consistent biblical teaching. Maintain consistent biblical teaching. Based on Ephesians 6, we are to admonish. Webster's Dictionary defines admonish as to warn, to caution against, to reprove mildly. We ought to be warning our children about the things the Bible wants us to warn them about. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The word of God gives us all we need to know about life and holy living. The difficulty is not that the word doesn't tell us, it's that we don't read it and believe it and practice it. We need to pass that along to our children so they have a healthy respect for, a desire to study, a desire to learn from the word of God. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Bible has a lot to say about training children, teaching children. I believe teaching starts at home. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down. When thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, 
they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Very obviously, and contrary to some people, people's thinking, it's not, the state's it's not the government's job to train your children. It's your, your responsibility. It's a God-given responsibility. And the Bible has a lot to say in that passage in Deuteronomy. talks about in every aspect of life, lying down, sitting up, standing, walking, you ought to be teaching your children. Proverbs 15.5 says, A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. Proverbs 29.15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Proverbs 1.8, My son, hear the, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. We are to teach our children. I just read a few scriptures that challenge us to lead our children to learn and to teach them. The passage in Deuteronomy tells us to teach our children diligently. That word diligently means to wet or sharpen, literally to prepare for battle. And life is a battle, as you all know. And we ought to be preparing our children for that battle. They're also to be taught daily, when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. It pretty well covers it. All the time we are to be teaching our children. We're to teach them directly. God expects parents to teach their children. Don't hope they'll get it from someone else. Each parent needs to accept the God-given responsibility to train his children biblically. Teach them character, teach them about God, teach them right from wrong, virtues. I think many of you are probably praying that you'll have the privilege of leading your children to the Lord. That's a valid prayer, but it'll take some teaching for you to accomplish that. Charles Dickens once addressed a letter to his son Henry while he was at college, advising him to keep out of debt and to confide all his perplexities to his father. The letter concluded as follows, quote, I most strongly and affectionately impress upon you the priceless value of the New Testament and the study of that book as the one unfailing guide in life. Deeply respecting it and bowing down before the character of our Savior, you cannot go very wrong and will always preserve at heart a true spirit of veneration and humility. Similarly, I impress upon you the habit of saying a Christian prayer every night and morning. These things have stood by me all through my life. And remember that I tried to re render the New Testament intelligible to you, lovable by you, when you were a mere baby. And so God bless you. There's a father passing on his godly heritage to his son. We need to maintain consistent biblical teaching in our homes. I would challenge you to decide today if you're engaged or seriously dating, decide now to start practicing family altar together. Get into the habit now so you'll practice it when you have children. But we need to con maintain consistent biblical teaching in the home, also through your church. Your church ought to have a teaching ministry in your family. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as we see the day approaching. We ought to be forsaking not the assembling of, of, together with other believers in the church. God intends your church to be an asset in your objective of training your children. That's why children, children attend Sunday school, youth group, vacation Bible school, and teen camp. God intends the church to help you in this task of raising your children for him. You ought to be actively involved in church and get your children involved. It ought to be true of your children. They had a drug problem when they were young. They were drugged to church every time it was open. 
I'm quite confident that you would change churches if your current church were not helping your family. Church is a vital part of your family's life and their learning processes. But how much time each week do we spend in church? Maybe five to six hours, depending on the length of service. I believe God intends for your school to enhance your goal of training your children to turn out right for God. After all, students spend approximately 30 to 35 hours each week in school. You ought to maintain biblical teaching in your home, in your church, and thirdly, through your school. Let me challenge you to consider where your children will go to school. We live in a nation where public school is the norm, but public school is not God-honoring. It is anti-God. You'll get in trouble for carrying a Bible. Teachers get in trouble. Now, that's only happened in the last 50 years. I can remember when I was in second grade, Mrs. Larson, our public school teacher, had a Bible on her desk and started every day with a verse and a devotional. That's not happening today. If you think my kids will be okay, you've got another thought coming. Your children could be swayed and convinced to believe error. It is your responsibility to train your children. It is also your responsibility to know what someone else is teaching them. Even in Bible times, parents would delegate the teaching of the children to temple leaders and scholars. When you enroll your children into a school, you are entrusting their training to those teachers. You are imparting to them a sacred trust, a God-given responsibility for teaching your children. Shouldn't you know something about the character and philosophy of those who are teaching them? There are a number of good reasons to enroll children in a Christian school, maybe safety from gang influence, safety from shootings, safety from pressure to use drugs, safety from violence, safety from immoral influences. You wanna put them in a Christian school to get consistent Bible teaching. This consistent Bible teaching is based on a Christian philosophy of education. It's been said that the philosophy makes the difference. Two basic philosophies, secular and Christian, I would want my children, and my children did attend Christian school all the time. I would want them under godly influence. We all want the best for our children. As you imagine 10 years from now, I would expect none of you imagine your children being ill. You didn't imagine them growing up and failing in their major, getting fired from their job, living on skid row. Every parent wants what's best for his children. No one ever dreams of these problems. Obviously, as Bible-believing Christians, we want our children to be saved in an early age. We want them to live a victorious Christian life. We want them to be all God wants them to be. Doesn't it make sense to enroll them in school with similar goals? I'll guarantee you the public educational system will not challenge them to be all God wants them to be. And you want your children under that kind of a godly influence in Christian school teaching. Let's look at what we've said thus far about how we can leave a godly heritage. First, model the Christian life. Second, mentor your family in the Christian life. Third, maintain consistent Bible teaching. Fourthly, and I know it's a sin to have a fourth point, but I'll have one anyway. Make God's call to teach a reality. Make God's call to teach a reality. At least they're alliterated. The Bible has a lot to say about teaching, about training the next generation. 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Romans 12.2 tells us, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Proverbs 16, 3, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Deuteronomy eleven nineteen, and ye shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Proverbs 18, 15, the heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Colossians 2, 8, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. I would challenge you to memorize Colossians 2, 8. That's exactly what's happening in the world today. Children are being spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit, where they could be attending a Christian school and getting the rudiments, getting away from the rudiments of the world and toward Christ. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 tells us, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We are challenged to teach. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou walkest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou risest up, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Based on what the word of God tells us about teaching, let's look at some of the opportunities which are made available when we make God's call to teach a reality. First of all, if God calls you to teach or you have an opportunity to teach, I would challenge you to accept it. Many of you aspire to be a youth pastor. I hate to shock you, but most youth pastors teach in a Christian school because most churches have a Christian school and have that opportunity. You ought to accept that opportunity and look forward to it and fulfill it. But first of all, you need to realize that the teacher will be a role model. Charles Barkley, famous of the NBA, once said, I choose not to be a role model. He didn't have that choice. He was a member of the NBA and he was a role model. If you aspire to teach, you will be a role model. The Christian teacher is to live a holy life in front of the students. Every day students watch, listen, and observe the way in which teachers live to see if their walk matches their talk. Throughout scripture, one sees examples of the leader telling the people to follow, to do as they have observed. Timothy grew up with Christian teachers and gives us an example in 2 Timothy 3.14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Paul was reminding Timothy to continue because of who had taught him. The teaching of his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois are validated by the lives they lived in front of Timothy. Paul also reminded Timothy that he knew the manner of life Paul lived. In other words, Timothy was a student who later was urged to continue to live as he had seen his teachers live. The concept, concept of a faculty member modeling a godly life before students must be a distinctive of a Christian school. Christian school teachers must be the type, living the type of lives that can easily be followed. This is contrasted with what can be seen in educational circles today where the individual rights of personal happiness, self-actualization supersede the responsibility to model a biblical lifestyle. 
in secular education, teachers are modeling a lifestyle, but it's definitely not biblical in most cases. So first of all, the teacher can be a role model. Secondly, teacher has the privilege of being an instructor of truth. Every Christian school teacher can teach the truth of scripture. What an awesome privilege. Christian school teachers have the remarkable freedom and responsibility to teach the truth to their students. The absolutes in scripture become the absolutes in the classroom. Teachers are admonished to teach no other doctrine and to beware of fables and stories they could deceive. The truth to teach is found in the inspired word of God, the Bible, and every Christian school ought to have Bible class. Every Christian school class ought to be taught from a biblical perspective. Teachers have the awesome privilege of teaching the truth, helping students learn the difference between right and wrong. Because teachers must know the truth in order to teach it, all teachers should be students of the Bible, spend time daily reading and studying the Word of God. This requires discipline, yet it is crucial to combat the daily bombardment of pagan values in our society and culture today. Teachers are teaching students who daily hear and see things contrary to the truth of Scripture. Often absolutes are mocked and made fun of. Today's Christian school teachers prepare their students to discern right from wrong. The truth of God's word is relevant to whatsoever is being learned in the classroom. Information and content in textbooks are to be read and evaluated based on the reality of God's word. The teacher therefore studies content and purpose in a discerning manner. It is the daily immersion in scripture that enables a teacher to teach discernment. Critics of Christian education would argue that this teaching of the truth is indoctrination and is an illustration of the extent to which Christian schools are brainwashing children. This criticism, when reversed, illustrates the opposite. Let me read a passage to you from a textbook which is required reading in most college freshman classes in America. This publication says, quote, with creationism in the saddle, American science will wither. We will raise a generation of ignoramuses ill-equipped to run the industry of tomorrow, much less to generate the new advances of the days after tomorrow. We will inevitably recede into the backwater of civilization, and those nations that retain open scientific thought will take over the leadership of the world and the cutting edge of human advancement. I don't suppose that the creationists really planned the decline of the United States, but their loudly expressed patriotism is as simple-minded as their science. If they succeed, they will in their folly achieve the opposite of what they say they wish. That's from a book entitled Reading, Writing, and the Humanities, which is required reading in most secular universities. They are openly attacking you and me and the efforts we have to teach the truth of creationism and patriotism. In Titus 1, Paul warned believers of false teachers and the teaching which turns people from the truth. And that's happening in secular education today. The lifestyle of the teacher and the teaching of biblical values and truth are the moral foundation upon which all other teaching rests. And we ought to be able to teach the truth of the scriptures. The third aspect of teaching, in addition to being a role model and teaching truth, teacher as a trainer who guides and facilitates and shapes learning. You're able to teach in a Christian school from a biblical perspective in every subject matter. Academic instruction is a very important part of Christian education. Some of you may say, well, I went to a Christian school, it was poorly organized, and I don't feel I learned very much. That's not the case in every Christian school. I think you have a great illustration here in Dr. Getch's leadership and the academic standards of West Coast Baptist College. 
It has been said a, meteor, a mediocre education at the feet of Christian teachers is still a mediocre education. And as you go into Christian schools and have an opportunity to teach and be involved and have an influence, you ought to be stressing academic endeavors. Uh, we've stressed with our faculty to measure higher level learning outcomes, to do more than just memorize straight facts, we be able to think and critically think and apply biblical principles. The academic training of students must prepare them to fulfill the role God has for them. The teacher rarely knows where God will lead them, but a strong educational background enables students to follow the leading of God in their vocation. A longtime teacher of teachers recommends that educators have three basic goals. First of all, teach people how to think, teach people how to learn, teach people how to work. A well-rounded academic education will teach students these three skills, prepare them for whatever the Lord has planned for them. And finally, I would recommend that a teacher be a shepherd. A Christian school teacher should be a shepherd. All teachers have the responsibility of shepherding. The example of shepherding permeates scripture. Christian school children are blessed with the kind of shepherds described in Jeremiah 3.15, where the Bible says, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Teachers ought to be shepherding their students, guiding their steps, pointing them in the right direction, pointing, pointing them in the way of truth. Daniel Webster, an 18th century statesman, Secretary of State for under three presidents, made this statement. What are we to do? Webster offered excellent advi advice saying, if we work on marble, it will perish. If we work on brass, time will efface it. If we rear temples, they will crumble to dust. If we work on men's immortal minds, if we imbue them with high principles, with just fear of God and love for their fellow men, we engrave on those tablets something which time cannot efface, which will brighten and brighten to all eternity. Let me challenge you today to consider impacting young people with godly Bible teaching. Modeling the Christian life mentoring our young, maintaining biblical instruction, and making God's call to teach a reality. I believe these are great methods to leave a godly heritage. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. I would ask every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me ask you to think on a couple thoughts. Perhaps today you need to